Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a program we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the radio station. We'll discuss their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their own show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is John Lupton, the co-host of Rural Free Delivery here on WVUD on Saturday mornings, one of our popular bluegrass programs. John, how you doing? I'm good, Jerry. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for stopping by. No problem. And I also, on behalf of all the DJs here, I want to thank you for making us say rural uh, all the time. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's been a long struggle of 29 <laughs> years for us to do it. Uh, let me ask you to give a brief description of your show. Uh, what we do is, um, it's a mixture of pretty much anything that, that can be called country music, although we, when we say country, we, we more towards the traditional side of things. In other words, uh, modern people such as nothing against her in particular, but Shania Twain, we, that's not the type of country music we want to play. Well, we go back to uh, the earliest days of the country music business, which, goes, which the scholars will tell you dates to about 1922, uh, with a, a recording of a, a fiddle tune called Sally Gooden by a Texas fiddler named Eck Robertson. And that's sort of the demarcation point that historians say that's when country music began, or at least the recorded country music era begins. And we go up through uh, all the old country people up to the, the uh, traditional com- country people uh, who've, uh, who were uh, the, uh, the leaders of the revival of the 1980s, people like Ricky Skaggs, George Strait, and uh, later at the end of the 90s, people like Clint Black and Alan Jackson and... Uh, uh, and then, and then, of course, we include bluegrass and old-time music, and which are all sort of cousins together, even though they don't always get along with each other, <laughs> as, you, as you, I think you know. Right, right. And uh, we also include in there, you know, various kinds of Cajun music, which is a, a you know, a, a French-Canadian, Louisiana form of country music. Sure. Uh, it's it's one of those things you know, you can't define it exactly, but you know it when you hear it. Well said. And you work with a partner, and you always have, right, on WV? Yeah, George and I have uh, been doing the show together for uh, now almost 29 years. We started in, eight, in 1989. And uh, that was because, uh, as you know, uh, Carl Goldstein has had his show Fire on the Mountain here for 40 years. And for the first 10 years or so, he had a, uh, uh, you remember Alice Siebel, who used to be here, and Alice had a, a sure. companion show that, that uh, was formed that Saturday block, and then Alice decided to go back to grad school, and so she gave up her show, and uh, Carl first asked George if uh, he would do the show, because he knew George had a, a large library, and George said, well, I don't really have the training, but George knew that I had had some, some uh, training in college about uh, radio and communications, that sort of thing, so I'll, I'll do it if, George, if John will help me out, and I said, okay, sure, and uh, so we, we took over for Alice in 1989, and are still here. Why don't you tell me... Uh where you were born and raised. I'm from Delaware. I was born uh, in Wilmington uh, and raised in the uh, suburbs on the north side of Wilmington up near, up near Belfont. Uh, my dad worked for DuPont. He was one of those rare DuPont employees who actually was also born in Delaware himself. And his father had come to, my grandfather had come to Delaware to work for DuPont at around the turn of the century. And my dad was a, a scientist. He worked at the, at the experimental station uh, he was uh, his field was plastics. Um, I went to Mount Pleasant High School, and uh, then later on, after 
high school, I went to the University of Texas where I got a, a BS degree in communications, which, as I alluded to earlier, included some training with radio equipment. And uh, getting out of college, discovered there weren't a lot of jobs in that field. Right. And I had already actually, by the time I was a uh, senior in college, I had started working for 7-Eleven to make extra money. And by the time I graduated, I was running one of their stores. And so I stayed in retail for about nine or ten years or so and then and uh, ended up re- working for Radio Shack, which got me into computers because that was the early days when they were selling computers. You remember the old TRS-80s? And well, stuff. I've heard about them, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, from there, I, I uh, ended up uh, through a couple other steps I won't go through to, to working in computer support for the University of Pennsylvania. And I worked there for about 21 years, I think. I well, ran out of fingers and toes to count on. And I retired four years ago. We're talking a lot here on this show about uh, music and records and radio and stuff. So do you, do you remember uh, the first music that you heard? Or do you remember your first experiences with music? Uh, well, uh, again, talking my, about my dad, in, uh, he was a classical music fan. And in 1955 or thereabouts, he, he bought his uh, first hi-fi system. Remember, he used to call them hi-fi. This is before stereo. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And it was a Heath kit that he, he bought and put together himself. You remember Heath kits? The kits. I do yeah, remember the kits, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And he he uh, bought, as the speaker, he bought a, uh, a 16-inch Altec Lansing full-range speaker and built his own box for it. And I still have that box. And it still works 60 years later. Oh, wow. And he, uh, he he set it up and he turned it on and he he turned the dial to WFLN, which was the longtime commercial classical station in Philadelphia, and he never changed it. <laughs> and so I grew up uh, listening to classical music, and uh, Dad liked he liked uh, swing music too, you know, big band kind of stuff as well. But classical is what he what we had on, and every every evening while I was doing my homework, I could hear the strains of this, of this music, you know, coming up and. Uh, classical music because it has always been really the the, the first yeah because i really enjoyed it and then then you know getting in school you know, you know my my sisters uh, were in high school in the 50s and so they were they weren't part of the elvis crowd they were more in the perry como and and uh and and uh, that and the thing I'm trying to think of who else uh, right okay pat, pat boone they had pat boone records right right and i listened to a lot of that and a lot of it was good and then i got into uh junior high and high school and the Beatles came along and the Rolling Stones. And, uh, for me, that, you know, in high school, as far as rock and roll, I was a Moody blues fan and, uh, still am to this day, of course. So I've, I've had exposure to a lot of different kinds of music, but that may lead you to wonder how the heck did I get into country music? The story of that is that in, I think it was in 1965, my Boy Scout troop went to summer camp at a brand new camp they had built uh, down on the Nanico River in southern, actually it was in Maryland, uh, a little bit west of Seaford. And I had taken a radio along with me, a little transistor radio. There was a Heath kit that my dad bought and I put together. And the only station you could get really there was out of Salisbury, Maryland. And so I was listening to country music there and I said, you know, I kind of like this. And I, you know, but that's not the sort of thing you admit, you know, if you're in high school in, in the 1960s in, in northern <laughs> Delaware. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I'd walk around saying, hey, yeah, how about that latest George Jones record, you know? <laughs> and uh, later on, as as I listened more over the years, you know, I, I got involved with bluegrass and, and old-time music, and I 
through George and our mutual friend Bob McGonigal, I got involved with the Brandywine Friends of Old Time Music. And now for more than 30 years, I've been working with them to put on uh, the Delaware Valley, Delaware Valley Bluegrass Festival and the concert series that we do. And, and before that, the old Brandywine Mountain Music Convention that we held for 20 years. And so it's been, uh, that's basically been my musical history. In, in your house, was there, was there music in the house, like the people playing the instruments? or My sisters were in the high school band. My, my oldest sister, Lee, played the French horn, and um, the younger of my sisters, they're both a lot older than I am, uh, she was a flute player. And there was an attempt to get me to learn to play the clarinet for a while, and I, 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 it didn't really take with me. And so I never really picked up an instrument myself until I was in college, and one of my roommates, I guess my roommate, my sophomore or, or junior year, I forget, a guy named Bill Reynolds, sold me an old nylon string classical style guitar he had and taught me a few chords, and so I started learning to play the guitar a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm not a professional, I don't do, I don't perform, but I just play for my own amusement and, and you know, and some old time jams, and I'm, I'm, I'm just good enough to be mediocre, I guess. But it's, it's, it's fulfilling it's, you know, to have a chance to do, make your own music a little bit, and, and you know, even if it's just for your own enjoyment. Sure, sure. There were records in your house, I'm assuming? Yeah, um, mostly classical. Although, uh, in terms of folk music, uh, my, my younger sister, again, the younger of my two sisters, she's eight years older than I am, she got involved, uh, she got uh, in the folk music boom of the late 50s, early 60s, she became a fan of the Limelighters, and the Kingston Trio and all that, and started bringing those records home. So I, I started hearing a lot of what was called then folk music. And that's, again, that's another term that's really hard to, hard to define. But, but if you remember that era of... of yeah, of, sure, I do. I, yeah. I remember hooting on, on yeah, yeah, ABC. And, yeah. yeah. And so we had those records around, and they were being played all the time. Started buying my own rock and roll records in high school. Do you remember the first record you bought? It may have been The Doors. Oh, good. Uh, forty-five or an LP? LP, first oh. their, their their debut album. Good. Which would be would have been around nineteen sixty-six or sixty-seven, something like that. Right, right. But you know, even even back then in those days, you know, an LP was three or four dollars, which back then was a lot of money for a kid in junior high or high school. Sure. So you had to be very very select about what albums you spent your money on. Where would you, where'd you go into uh, Wilmington to buy your records, or where would you buy your records? Place I remember going to was the old Gaylord store that was out on Miller Road. I remember that too. Yeah, it's long, long gone. But right, uh, but, uh, I think it had originally been a brick factory, and then they turned it into a uh, you know, a, a discount store. It's, it's hard for for people who don't remember that to remember to describe what it was like. I someone should do a commercial history just of that area right there because there's been a yeah. million stores there. I remember Dick Clark's. A Dick Clark steer in across the street with yeah. like 19 cent hamburgers. He tried yeah. to cash in on the McDonald's craze and stuff. And it's amazing. It's amazing to think that you, know, that you mentioned you know, that, that nowadays you go, if you go into McDonald's and you want a, a, like a quarter pounder, it's like $5 or $4, or whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the thing about uh, uh, Dick, the Dick Clark thing and Geno's and McDonald's and Kelly's, all, you know, it was 15 cents for a hamburger you know, and maybe yeah. 10 cents for the fries. You, know, and you could get yourself a meal right. for, for, you know, Fifty cents or less. Right, right, exactly. And and they must have been great hamburgers too. <laughs> just <laughs> just thinking. Yeah, yeah. Of, but I was I was there for sure, for sure. Um, so um, and so how about listening to radio? So you, so you listen to FLN in your house mm-hmm. uh, when 
when you started to branch out or so? What, do you remember what you listened to? WAMS. Sure. Of course, Wonderful Whams. 1380. Which was, uh, 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 it came back to me uh, way back, I guess 25 years ago now. We remember the late Neil Payne passed away, who was on here for a long time. And uh, Chuck Tarver, who was the station manager here for a long time, asked me to coordinate the process of picking Neil's replacement to take over his show. And uh, after about three or four weeks of that, lo and behold, one of the people who applied was Roger Holmes, who, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, you know, was, was oh, a, legend, a legend in, in Delaware radio. And he came in and he wanted to do the show. And it was all like, all right, yeah, <laughs> you got the job, Roger. <laughs> and Roger was here for a long, long, long time on Sunday nights. Sure. And uh, alas, he's passed away a few years ago. But uh, right. uh, just, you know, I'm sitting, I, I, I remember the night he auditioned, quote unquote, and we're sitting there in the thought line when we sitting here in the radio station with Roger Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How and cool How cool is this? And what a replacement he was for Neil Payne. I mean, yeah. just seamless. And we, he was an actual professional disc jockey, right? There's been very few of them yeah. that have stepped in here. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I, I guess I'm a couple years older than you, I guess. And, and uh, my radio listening started like in the early 60s, uh, like just, just pre-Beatles by a couple years or so. And, I, and that was Roger's. Yeah. Heyday, yeah. as far as I was yeah. concerned. I also listened a little bit to WDEL, which was not a music station primarily. It had some music, but it was more of, of, uh, of what now has come to be known as news talk. But they, you know, they had some new shows. But one of the shows that was on for a number of years was a, t- a call-in talk show in the evening call, um, called Voice of the People. And the host was a guy named Joe Mossbrook. I don't know if you remember him, but I was, I was cruising yeah. Facebook one day, one of the one of the Delaware groups on Facebook, and then saw him there. I said, Joe Mossbrook. And I, uh, you know, so I, he's a friend of mine, a Facebook friend of mine. Oh, great. But, but uh, uh, it was just cool, sort of cool to see that name come out of the past. The other thing I remember about WDEL late at night in the summers was their, their uh, broadcast from Brandywine Raceway. At the, uh, late at night, after, after, the, after the races were over, they would have uh, uh, you know, somebody do a recap of, of who won. And it's one, it, was, it was good to go to sleep, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not a harness sure. racing fan particularly, but it was just something that it was uh, – you put it on and it puts you to sleep. And then you go to college in Texas. Yeah. So, yeah. how about radio or records down there? Any any memories of that? I didn't have a lot of money, so I wasn't the type that could go around to a lot of the cool places in Austin that, that were coming up. You know, Armadillo World, Armadillo World headquarters, and and those sort of places. I went to a few shows, and uh, but there was some cool music going on. One of the people who was really big then there was Michael Martin Murphy, and this is back when he was still being known as the Cosmic Cowboy. And the, one of the big radio stations down there in Austin was KOKE, which was, which was one of the first to play some of this alt-country stuff and the outlaw stuff, which is, in, which is right, right around the time Willie Nelson made his shift from being the, the standard Nashville guy to the Willie that we know today, that we've known now for almost 50 years. In fact, I remember sitting in my dorm one evening and watching TV it was, it was the common room that had you know, one TV. Sure. A bunch of us sitting and watching. And this commercial comes on. It's a Ford, Ford, Ford dealer in, in Austin. And there's Willie Nelson saying, hi, friends, Willie Nelson from McMorris Ford. And I look at the guy <laughs> and I said, the Willie Nelson? He said, yeah, that's him. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's totally So, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm old enough to remember Willie Nelson doing Ford commercials for a local dealer. And it was a few years after that he started his Fourth of July picnic, and and that's mm-hmm. the early seventies is when the uh, you know the 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 Austin thing really started to take off. You had a pre-existing interest though in country music, right? So yeah, I I, I was into some of that, but I was also still you know I was a, I was a college kid who was still doing rock and roll too. Right, right, right. 
it was a fun place to go. Austin was a fun town, not just for the music, but just, you know, for a, a college campus that at the time was 40,000 kids. It's even bigger now. Wow. So you, wow. Could, you could lose yourself in it and, and mm-hmm. uh, just be very happy. You know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, the kids I went to high school with wanted to go to smaller colleges, so they, they didn't have that feeling of being, you know, part of a, a faceless mass that they knew, they knew all the other students. Says, I didn't care about that. I was happy just to be on my own and not be that distinguishable, I guess is the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for. Blend in with the crowd. Right, yeah. right, right. So you graduate from college, and you've already touched on this um, earlier. You uh, was your job with 7-Eleven. You went immediately from college uh, into 7-Eleven? Yeah, I, I managed a store for them for a little while. Then they, they sent me down. They actually made me a supervisor and sent me down to the Houston area for a couple of years. And um, I got tired of that and, and left the company and came back to Delaware. Actually, it was uh, I actually came back home about a week before the bicentennial. You know, oh, sure. Remember, you remember the bicentennial? I all sure the, do. All the, all the lead up to it. Now it's it's like forty years ago, more than forty years ago. And right. Uh, but uh, and again, people who weren't there just can't appreciate all the all the the hubbub about it. Sure, sure. But I came back and uh, ended up working for Seven Eleven again for a little while and in Delaware, left, in Delaware, in Delaware, Delaware, and Pennsylvania. Okay. And then. Uh, Worked for Radio Shack for two or three years and then left them to go work at a business down in Wilmington that was a, a wholesaler of electrical supplies and parts. What was that called? Wholesale Electronics. You remember it? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think I do. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not quite the gearhead, Four, but I, I knew a lot of them now. 1404 Walnut Street. That building is gone now. And from there, um, I got an offer from a couple of guys who I had worked with at Radio Shack. They were managers at the same time I was. And they had started their own computer sales and service business, and they, they asked me to come work for them. So I, I uh, did field service on computers for personal computers for six or seven years for them, uh, mainly driving down in Baltimore and servicing uh, computers for the Harford County School District. And uh, left them and, and uh, went to work for Penn in 1993. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about your show. Just uh, do you th- think your show has changed much over the years or? Not a lot. I mean, the one thing I would say that's changed, at least in bluegrass since George and I first started, is that there are a lot more really good female performers and acts than there were even even in the late 80s and 90s, late 80s. Uh, when we started, Alison Krauss was just getting big, and, and Laurie Lewis has, had made a lot of impact, and Lynn Morris was just starting. But Pretty much, those those were the three really big names for women in bluegrass, and that's something that's really good. That's it's a, a very positive step in the music, and there's been to some degree in the, the same way in uh, in uh, mainstream country music that there are, have been more women who've making have great careers. As far as old time music goes, the major change that has that has come along is that when we started, pretty much the entire old time music business, if, as far as recordings, was on cassette tape. And you know that, as well as I do, that playing cassettes on the air is a pain. Almost impossible. And, right. and they don't sound good to begin with, just for technical reasons. And George and I were part of a group in the late 90s that was called Old Time Music on Radio. We held, held a couple of conferences down in North in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Well, the twofold goal of the group was, number one, to get more airplay for old time music on radio. And I guess the sub-goal of that was to get more of the old time music crowd to start recording on CDs. 
And it's it's hard to imagine, but, but you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago even, there were relatively few old-time CDs available. That's changed quite a bit. And that's one thing that's changed about, that's had an impact on how we do our show, is that there is so much more old-time music available on CD. As far as, uh, you know, the bluegrass has progressed a lot in the last 30 years to the point where a lot of people listen to things and say, well, that's not bluegrass. And we we tend not to go too progressive on bluegrass. We still try and, and stay more on the traditional side, more towards the the uh, the Stanley Brothers, the Flatt and Scruggs, the Bill Monroe, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But there are some extraordinarily talented people who are making bluegrass that doesn't sound like what Bill Monroe did, and it's terrific music, and, and some of that we, we do play if you because know, we think it's good and it's worthwhile. Let's talk about your history with the uh, uh, Brandywine Friends. How, how did you actually make the connection with Brandywine Friends? In about 1983, I was looking for a place to live, and so I, uh, my good friend Bob McGonigal, who was a board member of the Brandywine Friends of Old Night Music, offered to rent me one of the rooms in his house, one of the bedrooms in his house in Wilmington. And I, I had known Bob for several years already and knew he was involved with this, but hadn't really gotten involved with the group. Bob said, you know, one, on the run-up to the, what was then the Delaware, the Delaware Bluegrass Festival, Bob said, well, why don't you come on down and help us out and, and you know, you know take in some great music and maybe do a little work and, you know, work and, and, uh, and uh, see how you enjoy it. And so I went down and, and uh, helped Bob with the parking duties, getting people in and out of the parking lot. And in the meantime, when and what was the location at this time? That was when it was at the, what was the old uh, country music park called Gloryland, if you remember that, which was on Porter Road, just south of US 40 in Glasgow. Although I think technically the post office calls that bear now, but it's, it's, it was Glasgow. Right. I already, I've already interviewed Carl Goldstein for this show, and uh, he kind of brought me up to speed, but also we talked about, I, my mother would always say, that's when Bear was a prairie. She would always say that. And, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. now Bear is part of the big sprawl of uh, Newcastle County. Well, apparently Bear is, is anything that's, that's south of Kirkwood Highway and, <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, and between Kirkwood Highway and Middletown and, and between Glasgow and, and uh, Wilmington. And the river. Exactly. Okay. And uh, so I got, well, you know, kept working for them, got more involved, and then uh, as I got more and more involved and did more work, they uh, invited me to join the board. And that was actually uh, just before I, George and I started doing the radio show here. So that would have been 89, and I've been on the board since 89. And within like two or three years, I had I had been uh, elected as president of the organization, which I, I hasten to say is a largely ceremonial term. <laughs> well, or, or you know, it, it, uh, it, we, we work as a collective and, and we really don't pay a whole lot of attention to titles. I mean, I'm the president because somebody has to be. And so, you know, somebody has to be able to, you know, like sign, sign bank deposit slips and that sort of thing and do certain things. And Carl has been the chairman for many, many years. And uh, uh, we've had a number of people as vice presidents or whatever. But uh, again, the, the way we do our work is, is, cooperatively and not depend on on a president to be in command of everything and this sort of thing we each have our own areas that we that we focus on to get our the festival and our concerts done and it works that it works well that way sure and you and i know i you've written several things in the program every year i believe that i've enjoyed mm-hmm. about the dollar the mm-hmm. history or welcome to or whatever you want to call it and mm-hmm. uh they're always well done and i know i know at least you do that and i always see you walking around with 
many badges on and uh, walkie-talkies <laughs> or whatever, so I know you do something it's, important It's not there. what you actually do. It's how important you look doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I'm, I'm very grateful to the University of Delaware for, for allowing folks like you and me from the, from, the, from, the, uh, from the community to come in and do these shows and do music that you don't hear on commercial radio anymore. And that's probably true with what you do, but certainly uh, the country music stations nowadays, the commercial stations, don't play what we have. If you call them up and ask for Hank Williams, they'll assume you mean Hank Williams Jr., which is right, a whole different right. thing. And as George is, is fond of saying, says uh, when we tell people we play Hank Williams, we don't have to we don't have to say whether we senior or junior, <laughs> and they know we mean senior. No, I I agree with you. Uh, I was going to say that brings to mind we were talking a little while ago about WFLN, the great classical music station. Right. And the sad way that that ended is that that the station, this is 20 years ago, I think now, the station was making money, but it was bought out by one of the big conglomerates, and they decided that, no, they could make more money by by fashioning it into in a, yet another flavor of the, of the you know, uh, whatever the format was called, this designed to appeal to the, the 25 to 34, and it was just a different kind of, of contemporary rock and roll or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was it was one of the great stations of all time, you know, and and it just sort of it disappeared like that. One day, you know, they 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 played a, a Beethoven symphony, and at twelve o'clock, when the the official flag went up, it changed over to some kind of uh, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it was beat music. Britney Spears or, or something. Or, yeah, I don't right, know. right, right, right. Yeah, and you know, radio is a brutal business, and I've I've always been thankful that that uh, that what we do here at WVD. We don't have a play uh, a, a program director looking over our shoulders saying, "Well, you have to play five cut five songs from this list every hour, and you have to do this, this, and this." The uh, the station and the university gives us the freedom to to program what we believe our community audience wants to hear, and that is that's pure gold. Right, I agree with you hundred percent. And it doesn't matter if we have five listeners or five hundred listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it continues as long as there's a call for it, and as long as the jockey. But it does surprise me how many people are actually out there and listening, and and, and the calls you get, and they're paying attention. Oh yeah, George just told a story about uh, what walking in the dark someplace, and somebody heard him talking and <laughs> yeah. said, "George or John." Yeah, you know? <laughs> I know it's one of you guys. <laughs> I was I didn't get a chance to tell him, but I had the same thing over. Uh, my family went over to Cracker the Cracker Barrel in New Jersey, in Salem, wherever that is. Uh, and I was standing in line like for brunch or something like that in the outside. And finally this couple came up and the guy said, are you on the radio? I said, oh, well, yes, I am. And then we talked and it was clear that when, he listened to the show all the time. Yeah. When, when, we, when George went into the Hall of Fame a few months ago and I gave the, 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 uh, the talk, the introductory speech, and I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll shorten it up. But, but the, I told the story of, of the one long-time listener he had who would, who would call in and want to request a certain thing. And then requested for her mother and then she'd spell out her mother's name and the whole thing. And she, she, she dedicated, want to dedicate it to George and dedicate it to Carl. And then she'd stop and say, Oh, and dedicated to the other gentleman too. Meaning <laughs> me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so George can, for, for now 25 years has been calling me the other gentleman, <laughs> which is okay. I, you know, I, I don't do this for the adulation and, and to be a household name uh, as George and I, often say we love coming down here and playing the music on the radio because it's more fun than sitting and listening to it for ourselves and playing it for ourselves. It's better to share this. And that's what it's all about. Sure. I agree. 
Well, listen, thanks for sharing your time today. Jerry, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) And the feeling is mutual. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jerry.